0: I guess 137 would be a pacer of the 500 in these conditions. 136! Oh my god, that is two seconds at the world's best time pace for the Balls. Chetel Borscht coached by the fantastic Lars Johan floated at the top of his game. Beautiful patience at the front of the stroke. He's moving out on Sinek there in this second quarter of the race. What can Chetel Borscht do if you're watching Olaf Tufte, the double Olympic champion from Norway he men's single skulls in 2004, 2008? Is this fan now scaling faster than you? He is fantastic. Beautiful sculling technique, Sarah. Still the fastest boat on the course. But out in front, you can see Jess Porsche is moving away. I thought Andre Sinek was going to get himself up into this race. I don't think that's going to happen now. Look at the Norwegian Scala. He's still the fastest boat on the course. He's still moving. There's about 350 metres to go, and it is the Norwegian of borsche oh my goodness look at the timing look at the boys look how loose he is in his shoulders he won the european title sarah we thought that was a new sign of something to come a barring accident and there had been some here of borsche will be the new world champion in 2018. Here comes the skull from the Czech Republic. He's sprinting, but it's not going to be enough. It will be the Norwegian as he comes down to the line. Kettle your the new world champion in the men's single sculls, crosses the line. Wait for the last 500 before they go. Is Oli Zeidler going to go early? What do you think, think the tactics are? Well, I think it's
1: a really good question. We're trying to look at this and think, what is actually going on here in the race? We're having a look with the Norwegian scholar. Down here, he's at 38 strokes a minute. Zeidler's at 38 strokes a minute. All of them looking fairly well in control. All of them looking like they could make something happen
0: chetel borscher's gone for it though he's gone early in the last quarter that's viking power view that's bravery isn't it looks across am i going to stay out in front it's absolute bravery from the norwegian scholar he's gone up to 39 strokes a minute it's giving a good advantage now over a scandinavian rival sverry nielsen up there in lane two but there's so much pressure coming from step through and canadi zeidler
1: Look in the bottom right of your screen. Who's the quickest on the boat, on the water? It's the Norwegian. So close, so hard to call. Kettle Borch, I think, still has a tiny lead. Let's see. Yeah,
2: the Norwegian's gone up to 41 strokes a minute. Here's the race happening behind him. Olly up ups the race.
0: The Dane in lane two is taking it up to 41. It's the Norwegian colour. Chetel Borsch in the lead. Oli Seidler unleashes his sprints. Ferry Nielsen goes with him. Briskonis is in there. Bruinings dropping back. It's, it's the Norwegian out in front. Seidler, what have you got to offer? Ferry Nielsen comes through on this near side. Chetel ball still in the lead. But Seidler's pushing his bows in front. It's one of the greatest men's singles races, you see. Oli Seidler's going to come through and take the goal. Is it? Ahead of Ferry Nielsen. It was so close on the line. A photo finish. I called it as I saw it. I'm not sure if I was right.
2: Welcome to The Show. We're your hosts, Lawrence Britton and Jake Green. And in this podcast, we're going to go into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a little bit about running. In South Africa, My brings people
1: together, breaks no down barriers. Yeah,
2: right? My passion winning, to be the best. To be the best is something we strive for. crucial
1: role Great. Passion. passion fiction. Gold, ultimate goal,
2: Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Hey, everyone, and uh, welcome to another epic episode of The Row Show. Uh, it's myself, Lawrence Britton, and with me is always uh, Jake Green. How are you doing, Jake?
1: Yeah, no, I'm good, Lawrence. Uh, it's, uh, again, we, we have a really cool interview now, and um, we are chatting to Olympic bronze medalists, a former world champion and the current bronze medal winner in the stacked single-scouts final from last year at World Champs. And for
2: those that are clued on, yes, we are talking to Chetel Bork. The pronunciation of your name, uh, because uh, listening to all your races, it's uh, much debated on uh, world rowing. And uh, <laughs> and there's many options out there.
3: Yeah, it is. It's many um, variations, I guess.
1: So is it, uh, is it Chetel
3: Borsch? Is that the correct way to say it? So the Norwegian way... <clears throat> of saying it is Kjetil Bork uh, I'm
1: going to have trouble with that
3: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly So that's why um, that's why when I pronounce my name in English uh, English, uh, I say Kjetil uh, just to make okay. it a little bit more easier uh, because in Norway we have this KJ sound so when you have KJ in in the beginning of a word, uh, it's pronounced uh, like a snake yeah. almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> See, so uh, yeah, it's different it's, in English. So uh, yeah. give
2: it give it to us one more time
3: there. Yeah, uh, the Norwegian one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hettilbark. Uh, well, yeah, uh, uh, you You don't. You don't. You don't <laughs> you're one of you're one of many. You're struggling. Yeah, yeah. We, I'm not gonna <laughs> no, get it right um, straight away. Yeah. But yeah. you
2: can just say just say Seattle okay. okay. Seattle is good. Yeah, that's okay. uh, that's perfect uh yeah so that's uh that's what we got and uh you guys can uh, fiddle around and, and play around with his name pronunciation but uh we're just going to stick on with uh, what we can and yeah i hope you guys are all staying safe uh in in a country listening to and hopefully that the the covid disaster is uh, not telling you guys too much and you're able to do some training and some rowing and hopefully this just uh, gives you some motivation for um the lockdown um period and uh, the difficult times we are going in jake how's training going for you
1: yeah, I mean it's it's pretty tough, but uh, it's um, it's it's going well. I'm staying nice and healthy. Just uh, trying to get something done every single day. I think uh, just trying to maintain the routine is probably the most most important thing. Um, so yeah, stay safe out there, guys. Just be careful. And um, you know, just before we get into our episode today, we have some housekeeping as always. Um, if you would like to support us here at the Rose Show and help our, our journey with this podcast, you can go to our SoundCloud profile and uh, click on the link that'll take you to our PayPal account and you can help us out. Um, and then, of course, guys, please sh- share the show, tell your friends about it, um, engage with us on social media. We, we always love it. Um, we always try our best to get back to you guys promptly. So, yeah.
2: And just uh, yeah, just make it, uh, make it your mission to, to tell one of your mates about it, maybe someone that doesn't know about the show because uh, just uh, spreading it and... In, in, in the people listening to the show is always going to help us out and yeah also this episode we recorded in may 2020 we decided to to keep putting in the the dates of when we we're recording the episode so that if you're going back to, to an old episode you know kind of uh when it was recorded
1: personally i've been wanting to chat to Chettle for a really long time obviously he's he's really an athlete um that's you know in everyone's mind at the moment he's had some fantastic re- results since uh, his Rio race. And, yeah, I mean, he's also, you know, he's rode in Norway. He's um, rode with Olaf Tufte and he's had quite an incredible journey. And, you know, actually a lot of insight into competing in a competitive team and staying on your game and, you know, trying to stay, you know, keep that healthy mentality, healthy attitude, even when, you know, everyone's based off selection and, you know, they're tough races out there. So I really, I really enjoyed talking to Chettle. So lots of insights there.
2: Yeah, I agree so much Jake. I mean, uh Chittil is just a machine. He's an absolute machine and he's just uh like talking about his racing was awesome, you know, his like uh his approach to rowing and and training is from a physiological level is is really impressive and really really quality, but then also from all the other levels as well. He's just uh, encapsulates what rowing is about and what the racing is about and I really enjoyed when he spoke about like the team dynamic and you know some other aspects, you know, we're so used to talking about the physiological elements and the technical elements, but he also went into great detail on uh, the team dynamic, especially rowing in the in the double with Olaf and how they have to click as as two people and they have to come together to to make the double uh, really fast, which I thought was just so awesome.
1: Yeah, guys, and that's I guess that's enough for us for our intro. Uh, I hope you really enjoy the episode, and yeah, this is you'll hear me shortly. How's it going, ladies and gents? And uh, we have another episode of The Road show for you. And today we are sitting down with Chetel Bork from uh, Norway. How are you doing there, Chetel?
3: I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's uh, 17 degrees outside. Uh, I had a bike ride this morning. I'm going to go for another bike ride soon. Uh, so, yeah.
2: Well, all things considered, pretty good. Is that uh, pretty good weather for you, 17 degrees?
3: Oh yeah, yeah, this is uh, exceptional. Uh, I mean, um, in April, uh, we're used to some snowfall and yeah, quite frosty conditions. So um, this is pretty good, to be honest. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's awesome and uh i mean we tried to to chat to you yesterday but uh you were out on the boat and uh and got stranded out at sea um and uh, didn't make it uh to our chat so uh so you're really just uh living the good life out there in uh, in norway at the moment <laughs>
3: yeah well if you're considering having engine problems uh the good life yeah i guess so <laughs> it's uh yeah it's it's um I think it's a preview of uh, of the summer, and um, uh, it's um, it's you know in Norway we're not used to good weather, so this is this is perfect.
2: Yeah, I say the, I say the good life because uh, uh, Jake and I in South Africa we're going into our fourth week of uh, actually nearly our fifth week of lockdown. Uh, where we haven't left the house and uh jake is on the farm in uh in, in the middle of south africa so he's got quite a lot of space but i'm in the city and i literally have not left my house uh, for, so, for so many weeks so um just the thought of being uh, stranded outside uh on the water is uh is, is quite pleasant i would uh i would take that uh at the moment over my current situation but uh yeah we're doing okay, and. Uh, and surviving the, the coronavirus and South Africa is doing quite well uh, on the numbers side of things. So hopefully we can start to go back to normal towards the end of, you uh, know, in, in a week or so's time. Yeah. yeah. Um, good. That's, good news. That's good news. So just going on the coronavirus, because I know that you guys did have quite strict uh, measures in place. Uh, earlier on, but it seems to seems like uh, Norway has got on top of things quite well, and uh, things are starting to to return back to a little bit of normal uh, normality in Norway. Is that is that correct?
3: Yeah. Uh, so it's about one week ago they uh, they eased up the um, the restrictions uh, a bit. So, but it's still um, they they. Um, they tell us to stay at home and don't don't go. hike. if you, if you don't have a necessary errand, don't go outside. But uh, we're we're allowed to go out and enjoy the sun and and stuff. But I think the <laughs> the hardest thing for for um, the Norwegian people was that you weren't allowed to go to your cottage in the mountains, and uh, because in Norway twenty uh, percent of the total population owns a cottage. Um, so not being allowed to go up in the mountains during the Easter was uh, maybe the hardest hit <laughs> for some of the, for some of the guys, uh, uh, especially when the weather was so good. But uh, we, 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 we've been pretty lucky and um, we had, uh, well, well, to this day, one hundred and eighty one uh, corona related deaths. so we um, think think we, we did the right measures early,
1: yeah, it's quite a tricky situation. Um, but t- chat to us a bit about how you know what what the training was going going like before we obviously got into this interesting period of time at the moment. and chat to us a bit about what your training's been like since, and you know, what, what's, what's it been like? Because I'm, I'm assuming you must have been somewhere on like your pre-competition camps or pre-competition period of training. And then must have been quite a big change going from that pre-competition training to suddenly, you know, the, <clears throat> the rowing season is has largely been cancelled and then later on the Olympics been cancelled. So chat to us about that transition and what's training has been like for you at the moment.
3: Yeah. Uh, so um, we were at the first camp in Portugal. Uh, of the year and we had a meeting uh, on well this was the Wednesday before we were going home so we were going home on Saturday and uh, we had a meeting, a team meeting and we discussed the options because we could stay in Portugal we could prolong uh, the camp uh, and stay maybe 10 days more but we were afraid that uh, we were put in a quarantine when we got home. So we just rebooked the tickets and got home as fast as possible. And the day after, well, the same day we arrived, like three hours after we landed, they said everybody who's been out abroad the past three weeks have to do a mandatory two-week uh, quarantine. So, uh uh then we realized okay they they're gonna they're gonna do some quite steep changes now uh because we were following the news in Italy and seeing how things were were going there so um yeah, now we were put in quarantine and uh I made a gym uh in my small apartment in oslo uh it's about twelve square meters maybe um <laughs> And uh, yeah, I got a rowing machine there, uh, uh, spinning bike, some free weights, both a ball, and I guess that's it. Um, so we're training inside uh, for most of the time. Uh, we were allowed to go out uh, in the woods, so I did some uphill, like uh, hill intervals in the in the woods and also some biking i think i did one session but uh it's hard to to keep a good distance on a bike when everybody's out walking so i went just out in the woods all alone and ran so that's um that's for the greater good i guess
1: yeah it's definitely i mean it's been a big adjustment for for all of us uh it's quite similar situation to to Lawrence and i we were on our, our pre-competition camp in Lesotho, and uh, we basically sat down, had a meeting, and we decided we needed to go home before you know the borders started getting closed. And uh, we literally went home, and in a couple of days, our president announced the lockdown period. So it's been quite a—it's quite a big adjustment. And then obviously, hearing about the Olympics is quite a big move. And um, you know, what does it? Wh- what is you know, what's the feeling? Um, uh, what's your feeling regarding the Olympics being post- postponed to next year, and you know what's the you know is there any sort of plan for? it? I imagine it's still quite uncertain at this time
3: uh The funny thing is that uh when we rigged down the boats in Portugal on uh, the day before we were flying home um <laughs> i uh I asked uh, strongly the lightweight. On our team, I asked him, um, what do you do if they postpone the Olympics with one year? And Ara has been pretty clear that after Tokyo, uh, he's out. He's never going back to rowing. He's just so finished (laughs) and tired. Uh, So he said, oh, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm going to eat the pizza. I'm going to, well... Grab a beer, and I need a vacation. I need to, get, I need to get away. So, um, well, uh, I guess um, Olympics being postponed is um, is a big thing. It's the right thing to do, uh, and also it, it promotes uh, the fairness of sports, meaning that people who aren't qualified get. Uh, time enough to do so in a fair way and not based on the visa world rankings from the world championships because that would be catastrophic because I was in the same situation in 2016 because Nils and I didn't qualify in 2015 in Aguiblet so when I was rowing double with Olaf uh, in Lucerne for the final Olympic qualification regatta We had led the place uh, top two to go to the Olympics, and I can just imagine the pressure if that was uh, postponed uh, without any set date. And yeah, so I guess uh, the moving uh, postponement of the Olympics is the right thing to do. Uh, And it's a strange situation because it went from four months to the highlight of your career, hopefully, uh, to 16 months. Uh, and that's, um, for me, that's a really, really, uh, huge, uh, change. So, um, I, when I got the news, I realized I needed to take two, at least two weeks off. So I just erased the training program from my mobile, uh, And I only wanted to do things that I wanted to do. So if that was three hours on a bike, if that was 20 minutes run or nothing, uh, so be it. So um, just to free up some space uh, and um, really need to refocus because the focus was so narrow and the focus was so intense on the Olympics in July. and suddenly, that just poof, get a, <laughs> just evaporates. I I, I guess um, um, that means I need to reset my motivation as well. Because if I'm firing on all plugs um, in 16 months, I'm gonna burn out. Uh, and um, I know I know myself that good that I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be in that position when I just keep on pushing 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 and then burn out and not being ready for Tokyo next year
1: sure yeah, really I mean, it, it, is, it is it is it's quite the the, the tricky situation there um, and yeah I liked I like what you brought up about the, the fairness of the of the Olympics being postponed I mean for me the the biggest thing for me is I, I think you know, the, some of the, the measures, a few, uh, a, a lot of athletes, in fact, a lot around the world, especially in Europe, I'm sure were under quite quite stressful conditions with the coronavirus breaking out and just thinking about what the Italian rowers and the Italian team have been going through um, when the coronas hit them. I think it's a good move because I think it's a bit unfair placing such, you know, rowing is a very hectic sport training-wise and, you know, imagine you're stuck in a, in your basement quarantine from your family in Italy and you have to, you know, do 200k weeks and, or whatnot, so I, I'm quite happy from that perspective to at least give you know the athletes the say you know just to focus on their safety and and make sure that they are right, and you know give everyone a bit of breathing space and bring the fire back. but yeah. um talking about talking about a bit of fire, i mean the the last the last season in the single skull, I think that's a good place to start talking about the rowing was a cracker. I mean, the you know twenty nineteen it definitely was a year where there were some super hot single scholars and I must say that final in twenty nineteen must have been for me one of the the best finals I think of all time. They have a couple races in the skull that come to mind, but that twenty nineteen finish. I mean, chat to us a bit about that race and 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 uh, what what it was like going through that.
3: Yeah, the um, the final in in uh, the world champs in 2019 was um, definitely one of the most exciting and fun races I ever did. Um, and um, I think um, what was genuinely fun was that you had uh, Oli was leading, very was leading um uh, and I was leading at a point and the Dutch guy was leading at a point. So, uh, you had all these changes, uh, going through the race, uh, everybody having their own pace and responding to, to, um, the other rowers. And you can, you can, you can see, you can almost see the thoughts, thoughts of the scholars above their heads as they're rowing, looking at each other. And you can, feel the tension in the field. And, um, to be honest, uh, I was, um, not in a very good form in the world championship. I told my coach, during the training, I was like, uh, Johan, um, um, I think that like, feels like the technique is okay, but I, I don't feel like I can, I don't have the full range. Uh, of my usual form, but, uh, so we try to trigger it, uh, tr- trigger it, uh, throughout the, um, championship, uh, and, um, uh, that meaning, um, in the quarterfinal going out really fast, same in the semi, uh, and maybe do a pace that the first thousand that I wouldn't do just to trigger, uh, the system, uh, and get some speed. So, uh, when we passed 1000 meters in the final, uh, I was feeling pretty good actually. And, um, and, um, closing in on the last 500, I was in the outmost lane, uh, lane six. Um, and, um, it's it's uh, I don't know it's it's furthest away from the other uh, boats warming up and the only thing you have is the camera car, hundred meters away. It's so nice and quiet, I guess. <laughs> so you you really you, I, I got the time to like focus and be uh, in my own boat and row as I wanted. Uh, But I saw when we crossed the 500, right before the uh, last 500, uh, I noticed the field really pushing on. And I saw Chris Collins also coming into picture. And uh, knowing that my form wasn't the best, I just had to just try and, well, take a shot and... And enter the tank maybe a little bit early, but that was my, my best shot. So I went for a, a long sprint, uh, which held out pretty fine. <laughs> and I was leading and had a really good boat speed and uh, a good rhythm. But um, I didn't have enough fuel on the tank. So I was so damn sure I was <laughs> placing fifth uh, when I crossed the line because I I had nothing left left. And I guess. Those of you who uh, haven't seen my my uh, 2018 Henley final, uh, you should Google that and watch uh, it on YouTube. Because that is how you're not watched, supposed to race.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I watched that with against my Drouvostal. That was, um, I mean, all all credit to to my hair. I mean, he's such a legend in the skull. But so yeah. I, I watched that race. that was um, that was seemed like you were hurting a bit at the end there. Yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. I I was like I was stuck in syrup, uh, <laughs> and um, because I I, I am mean, well, I'm not shifting the, the races now. But uh, in the Henley, I was uh, last 600. I tried to keep distance, but it was like I was rowing in syrup. So I needed to uh, make a bigger and bigger and bigger effort just to keep the distance, and it, it didn't matter because he uh, just was rowing in his own pace and just closed in, and I tried to push more and more and more, and I just went empty. It, I've never been so empty in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> so, um, um, and that the same thing happened in uh, in Linsen in the finals in 2019 but Um, I think the last 100 100 meters I I, I really didn't have anything left nothing, nothing so uh, um, looking at the video um, I I think I'm actually rowing pretty well the last 100 uh,
2: compared to what I uh, thought it would look (laughs) because (laughs) I felt terrible but, but I mean, I think that's uh, it's a big part of the the single is because you're on your own. You know, in a, in an eight, if you start feeling like that, maybe uh, the other eight, uh, the seven guys in the boat can can kind of soften that uh, that fade a little bit, or you know, the, the, just the momentum of the boat can can hold the speed just for that fraction longer that's needed. Whereas in the skull, you're just by yourself, and and if the juice starts to run out, then. There's, there's nowhere really to to hide and the, and the, and the other guys around you will will take such advantage of that. but I mean that that 2019 race um, it's it's interesting that you say that you enjoyed uh, being in lane uh, lane six by yourself there that you could just focus on your own rowing because I was gonna say, did you feel a bit out of the race because obviously there's there's two lanes between you uh, to where the the real action was happening and uh, and it's just interesting to hear you say that you just really calm in your lane in your race and and really took it at the 500 and yeah I mean you're your move through the, through the 500 is, is really, really spectacular. And I mean, at 100 meters to go, I, I, I watched when I watched the race again and, and again, I still think, oh, you've got to take it, you've got to win this thing. And, uh, and I know that feeling of just uh, of running dry at the, at the end of the race. So I can imagine. But you, you look really happy with that race though um, after, uh, on the finish line.
3: Yeah. Uh, as I said, I, th- I thought I placed fifth. Uh, I really, really thought I placed fifth. Uh, So when I saw the scoreboard and I was third, I was uh, pretty happy because I knew uh, I couldn't do anything different in in a race. And I was playing with the cards I was dealt and I did my very best. Uh, And there was no way I could achieve a better result. Uh, So... um, and for me it was uh one hundred percent honest race and uh yeah i was i was happy uh, i am not happy with the result but i was happy with my performance and that's a that's a big big difference and people who who are only um who are only focusing on results they won't get the fuel to uh propel their uh, pro program pro, uh, what do you call it? progression um, yes. uh, so you need to uh, you need to really focus on what you can do and what you have and what you can improve. And um, I've been growing for quite a while, and I know uh, where my limits are, um, more more or less. And I know that they're uh, fluctuant. They can they can move. My limits can move all around. I mean, I can be better than I thought, and I can be worse than I. Lot, but uh I always push through that limits um anyways so <laughs> uh no it was an honest race, and um it's um, it's, it's really fun that uh we almost have five five boats within one second, and uh as you said when when you run you're running a single and you run out out of juice you <laughs> there's no one no one to carry you home and uh so you're just left alone and <laughs> dying in the field, i guess <laughs> and um uh that's why a single scholar you, you really need to to um um you really need to get to know uh, the signals your body uh, sends out so uh, um, without interpreting the signals. Too much because you don't want uh, uh, a race to be too intellectual. So, um, but you need to listen to uh, to what your body says. And um, because if you fail, there's no returning—not in a single race.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I really like that. On, on you have to you you went out there to achieve your best race and, and not it's not about the results it's about achieving the max that you can achieve because if you if you can squeeze everything out then generally the that's when you get the best results um not the other way around not chasing the result and and hoping you have a have a good race um yeah sure yeah i mean just just so cool though (laughs) i could watch that race again and again and again um but i also think an interesting element of of the of the 2019 season is that the results were very inconsistent through the season from, from all the the contestants in the skull and in the different regattas because was I mean there was all the crazy weather in, in some of the world cups and the, the results were very up and down and I think people going into World Champs didn't really expect uh, didn't really know uh, what to expect uh, from the racing uh, uh, at the, on the on the start of that uh, that World Champs week.
3: Um, yeah, Rotterdam was,
2: (laughs) was interesting to put it
3: in that way. Um, uh, so, um, based on the results from Rotterdam, uh, I knew that, uh, was in a good, good form. Uh, also Svary was training with me in Norway for about a week. And uh, we also been training, having a few sessions together in a camp in Portugal. So, uh we both know uh, approximately where the other stands uh, when it comes to form and and capacity. Um but you know, um suddenly Damir was up there uh in the Royal Capital Rotterdam and <laughs> Ollie was off the charts. <laughs> I just think that was funny. Um sorry Ollie if you're listening, but <laughs> it, it was uh it it was not fair racing at all uh but uh Pisa used the fairness commission um set up and um but i mean time trials when the winds are so uh inconsistent it's uh it, it's it's not fair it's not fair at all uh but uh he um he achieved his goal later in the season, and that's why I can laugh about it.
2: <laughs>
3: and uh, it <Ollie> was, uh, <laughs> he was so furious. I feel sorry for him uh, at that point. But uh, uh, as I said, he took both the world and the uh, European Championship gold. So, um, in retro uh, perspective, it was quite funny. Um, <laughs> but uh, and, and I know how it is to be uh, to be um, uh, hit by. The fairness uh, rules. I mean, take a look at the semifinal in uh, the London Olympics. Take a look at the semifinal we did in in uh, in Amsterdam uh, World Championship. That was shit. I mean, um, that was um, so many athletes lost the faith in Visa and in what how they managed the competitions. And, uh, and I, uh, well, I mean, in London, I was furious and I was furious also in, in Amsterdam in, in 2014. So, uh, I mean, uh, throughout the season last year, there was a lot of, uh, different, a lot of different results. And when we came to Linz, nobody really knew where people were, uh, were going, but I think, um, I think people knew that, okay, is gonna, he's been angry as heck <laughs> <laughs> the past two months after them. so he's been training good, well, he's gonna be up there, and Sverry he's pretty good, okay, he's gonna be up there, and of course, there's never a world championship final without Zynek, so he's gonna be there, and uh, yeah, and when it comes to me, uh, I have a steady pro- progression throughout the season. So I was confident that I was uh, going to be up there but um uh, not sure how the others would place so um yeah it was just going into the world championship uh, world championships last year was uh, pretty uh, quite um uh, uh, thrilling to be honest
1: Yeah and uh, it's interesting that you you bring up your your progression um because that is it is when you look at your results especially from the last two, last three years, um, it definitely seems like you've got you got really, like you said, you got really good progression throughout the season. And um, I mean, in 2018, you started off obviously with a with a, a ninth in the first World Cup, which I mean, I'm sure must have been disappointed. But like you said earlier, you know, it's a you can't take results um, you know too literally and, and disrupt your you know your your mind space. And then you went to you know, the second World Cup, uh, fourth, which is such much better results. And your Henley final, I mean, obviously, you know, running out a bit of juice at the end there. But it's, it must have been a good space for you because you knew that you were getting so much faster. And then, obviously, becoming the European champion just before World Champs, going to uh, 2018 um, World Champs in the skull. And then you go, you go on to win the 2018 single skull final and become World Champion. And very much so, your 2019 season followed a similar pattern. Um, chat to us a bit about that progression. Is it something to do with your the training? Um, I know you've also dealt with uh, some
3: injuries, so it would be great to uh, hear from you. What happens there? Yeah. Uh, well, it's... Uh, <laughs> I think it's become my signature and uh, to have that progression throughout the season. And there's many factors coming into play uh, to explain that uh, progression. Um, Norwegian Rose has throughout the history always had that type of prog- uh, progression uh, because uh, surprisingly it's uh, <laughs> it's cold in Norway <laughs> during the during the winter and now we're uh, for most of the time the lakes are, are frozen so there's uh, no way we can go out to row um, so we do um, training camps abroad but comparing to, for example, New Zealand or Croatia, uh, we do surprisingly little uh, rowing on the water during those, well, five months, uh, six months. Um, So that put us out of the, the technical aspect of what we call form because you can be in great shape but if your technique sucks, uh, <laughs> you're not going anywhere near uh, a final. So um, we um, we are lagging a little bit behind uh, always, I would say, in the first, first World Cups. Uh, and I can't remember the first time Norwegian won the first World Cup. Maybe all up somewhere sometime in the early 2000s. But uh, that's, uh, I mean... I will probably see a unicorn before I die, before I see a Norwegian win the first. <laughs> world uh, and um, um, the progression, I can um, to explain it. Uh, in 2017, in December, I had a big knee surgery. A uh, big, well, it uh, was the meniscus that was torn apart 180 degrees and it flipped over to the other side of the to the knee joint, and they had to open it up and hook it back and put it in place with 18 stitches um, inside of the inside of the joint um, and that was uh, pretty painful uh,
2: and How did you do that? Recovery with huh? how? <laughs> how, did, how did you do well, that? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah
3: yeah um, yeah. Uh, is that so just I was, I overuse or is yeah, it a was,
2: specific injury?
3: It's a specific injury and it's not typical for rowers. Uh, so, um, ironically, I was at the top sports center in Norway where all, all the sports and athletes have, uh, well, they get um, like physical help and um, specific. Training center, very, uh, where we meet, and I was having a session with uh, <laughs> with uh, a specialist from uh, London, uh, <laughs> who's a physical therapist, and also my uh, my core strength uh, coach from the top sports center, uh, and I was. Doing a pistol squat on um, what do you call it? I think it's called a, the a beam. Um, it's like a thin wooden thing you can stand on. It's it's used in athletics or what do you call it in the Olympics. Uh, so I was doing a one one legged squat and I went a little too deep uh, and I got some. Uh, I went out of balance, so my knee. I twisted a little out, outwards, as I was going down, I just heard a big pop, um, Oh! and uh, <laughs> oh, I, I see my other leg, and they said, oh, <laughs> and, uh, oh. and the physiotherapist, came from and she was like, uh, oh, that didn't sound good, did it?
2: <laughs> I was like, oh, oh no. A, <laughs>
3: just a regular pop, you know, like cracking your fingers or something. And I tried to do one more rep and that didn't work out. Um, So I got some ice and uh, cooled it down. And then I rode uh, uh, 12 kilometers on the erg. And um, and then I uh, got an appointment with a, uh, a doctor <laughs> and uh, they find out I was uh, torn, torn meniscus. So uh, the rehabilitation for that was said to be somewhere between six and 18 months for a full recovery. Um, so six months for being able to compete and 18 months to be able to like run without getting a swelling and stuff. So that was a huge, uh, huge setback. So, um, and this was in December uh, 2017. And um, so I was more or less just doing silly, silly exercises. Uh, I couldn't bike. I couldn't row. Uh, Well, I rode with one leg, though. Uh, I did. So my left leg was... Getting pretty strong, uh, <laughs> so um, so the steady progression because I was training a lot, even though I couldn't do much. I I, I did a lot of alternative training, and um, I was quite focused on getting back in the game uh, because it was I wanted to my first single season to be a good one, uh, even though I came out a little bit out of balance. Um, so, uh, quite natural, the progression throughout the season was um, just going better and better because my my um, starting point was so bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and, and also, um, I, I know because you can see from the 20... 13 season when nils and I won in the double we also have steady progression uh, and uh, also a progression within the world championships so um, I'm quite confident that uh, it almost I, I'm not saying it's happening uh, automatically but it's I think it's 60 percent physical the last month going into world championship and it's uh 40% uh, mental so um yeah i i um I'm, you can say that i'm lying to myself going into world championship Just say oh oh you are in such great shape you i mean wow you're <laughs> you're going to make this so i tried to lie to myself and i think fake it to make it so um uh it's um uh, just steady progression throughout the season, and of course we we rope uh, more in the summer uh, than in the spring, and uh, yeah, uh, it's like a bear uh, a bear coming out of hibernation, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can. It's I'm sure it's it's a thing that a lot of Europeans have to deal with, but I can imagine it's particularly particularly difficult uh, in Norway. And um, I just want to chat a bit. You mentioned earlier that uh, 2018 was your first season in skull, and um, I think we should go into that a bit because that is definitely when you look back at your results. It's definitely a massive uh, pivotal point in your career um, after racing in a, you know in the double for so many seasons uh, to make that decision to move from you know the double into the skull, which is probably maybe one of the more the most daunting boat classes to change into and then go uh, in your first season after picking up an injury, winning a world champs. That must have been quite an interesting period of transition. Chat to us a bit about, you know, changing from the double. What are the technical, um, the technical um, experience you had moving from the double to the skull? And also, what was it like racing by yourself in the skull um, in that season?
3: Yeah. um, um, Since I began rowing in and uh three i think uh i always been sitting in um a team boat so i quad or a, or a double uh even force so um i was just tired of rowing with other people uh not tired of the people but i was <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> that's a big difference <laughs> uh, you know, you can get tired of family, but you don't hate your family. <laughs> you just get tired of being with them, uh, and it's not about them. Uh, now, I guess, um, I guess, uh, I wanted to um, expand my uh, horizon and see what I'm capable of, uh, because it's hard to do it in a double, uh, because you're um, you're 50 of the crew and if you have a bad day or you may have a bad day, you don't really know how you could perform or when you, when you good race, you don't know, okay, was it me or was the other guy who was fantastic today or was both brilliant or so, um, I, I, I was just curious to, to, to see what I could do and, uh, and, uh, also be, be alone and focus on myself on my own technique and no compromises, no um uh, no debates whether to do this and that with three, with two other persons that meaning my coach and and the other guy in the boat so um but then again uh I think also going into single is a very steep uh learning curve because uh you do something good, you get results you do something bad you get a clear result. And by that, you can eliminate the stupid things to do more easily, and maybe in a double or a four, where your um, technical um, challenges is kind of uh, um, diluted uh, by uh, everybody else's uh, performance, uh, and that goes uh, both ways. So in uh, in a in a, in a team team boat so i guess um had a really steep learning curve and and um it was it was nice to just be on my own uh, because after after rio i was quite clear that i'm going in the single and i thought olaf, olaf was going to take uh, a year off uh, <laughs> And because I was taking a year off and then Olaf said no we're rowing the double <laughs> and I said you know I've been sailing in the Caribbean for four months I'm in shitty form <laughs> he said I don't care we're going to row the double and then we rode the double and we, it was okay but it wasn't fantastic and that was the point I was like okay um, now I, 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 need, I need to be to be on my own and um, and, uh, and yeah, see, see how, how how good I can do it in a, in a in a single.
2: Yeah, so so it's very interesting to see that you like you you chose it because I think uh, a lot of people they get the opportunity and then take it, but uh, you obviously wanted uh, to be in that single, and I and I think it does takes a special mindset uh, of uh, for people to to get in the into the single, and I really like the idea. Of how the single is gives you that immediate feedback. Uh, I've rowed in the in the pair most of the time, and I also find that it gives you very clear feedback on whether you're making good changes or, or bad changes. And I find the double is one of the hardest boats to feel. You know, it's a, it's a boat that most people start their rowing careers in um, in 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 the small boats in the double, and it's a boat that you can make feel pretty good quite easily. But to make it really really fast is extremely difficult and I think it's such a, a difficult boat to get um to get right so it must have been quite a relief to to get in the single and uh, and just be able to focus only on yourself and and not have to to worry about the crew and and other people and and just to to get the best training that you that you could have got um but let's go into that double a little bit and and how what is what are what are the main technical aspects of the double that uh, that you that kind of you've learned over the years that that make it really fast because I think that last ten twenty percent of the double is such a difficult part to to get right
3: yeah uh, I, I, I wish I had a, a simple answer <laughs> uh, but um I think you can begin with honesty, uh, because it's so easy to roll a double uh, with someone else, and uh, uh, you don't want to. Because you need to cooperate, and when you're discussing technical issues, uh, no one's right and no one's wrong. But in the end, someone is right and someone is wrong, uh, and you need a you need a strong coach to really. Be able to see the small changes, to see to almost feel the atmosphere in the boat, and 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 uh, pick up the small signals to tweak a top a double uh, from being good to better to best, and um, it, it's it's super hard. Uh, because we're uh, we're only humans, uh, and and it's it's when you are training day in day out, uh, sitting in a boat, and things are not going well, your thoughts begin to like wonder, and you okay first of all, okay, w- what am I doing wrong, and you start analyzing yourself, and then you uh, and then you start analyzing the other part, and that's that's uh, that's poison. So the second you start analyze uh, your bowman, your, your 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 stroke or your bowman, and thinking about that while rowing, um, that means your head is in another place, and you're not cons- you're not thinking about your own technique. So by thinking about if the other uh, if the other rower is is um, doing something wrong. You're making the boat slower. So I mean, it's it's really really uh, important to have an honest conversation and sit down with a coach, and uh, and talk about okay, um, uh, what's good about my rowing, what's bad about my rowing, and the other part says okay, what's good about my rowing, what's bad about my rowing, and then you gotta you gotta really have a. Uh, <laughs> um um an honest conversation saying uh what bothers you because if if you're sitting there and not comfortable or you're afraid to say some, something you you will um you will not get any pro- progression and um ruling is about teamwork and you need to know the other Uh, um, the other man in the boat and knowing what they think and by having smart conversations, you will discover uh, uh, another aspect of rowing and another aspect of your teammates um, that you wouldn't if you just sat in a boat, rowed in day out, day in uh, and only speaking in technical terms like, okay, a little bit faster in the catch, uh, longer leg drive hang on the shoulders or because that kind of term is what we use uh, in race or in intervals. Uh, you need to go into depth and you really need to um, to find out uh, the small things that can make uh, um, your rowing easier. And it, again, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy answer. Olive and I had before the Rio Olympics, Sat down with our coach, and we um, and we he uh, we uh, were um, asked to say uh, three things about ourselves that we think we're doing good and we think we can do better, and also three things about the other guy, um, what he could do better to make the boat go faster. That could be, I mean, not. Uh, not necessarily uh, technical issues. It could be well for for Olaf and I. Um, I was uh, um, I was um, uh, a bad planner, so um, uh, we were sometimes we were short of time, and uh, and uh, so I had to do changes in that. And I said to Olaf that he needed to put his phone on on vibration mode because his phone is always ringing. <laughs> there's no, there's no break. <laughs> and I said that he need to free up space to, um, to, uh, um, ease the weight on his shoulders going into Olympics, um, and focus on, on the rowing. And that was stuff that's really hard to say. And just in a regular day after a session, you don't say, "Okay, uh, shuttle, you just need to plan better," and then you have set the <laughs> then you have set the atmosphere to to <laughs> <a> bad mood. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's 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 in it's yeah. It's I think what you what you're saying there about the the team dynamics. I'm not just rowing in the double, but I think you can kind of take what you said and just. um it's very relevant to all manner of boat classes um, in, in big teams because I think rowing is such an intense sport. I think you, you spend so many hours of your day like, in the same environment as, as your teammates that um, it's almost like it can swing like a pendulum. If it's going well, then you know, it's going really, really well. But you know, there, there are certain dynamics, interpersonal dynamics that pop up that can hamstring you in the boat and I'm sure it's it's not easy, especially you know rowing with Olaf who's such an experienced and decorated rower it must have been really tough you know speaking to him about things that uh, that he can do better but I mean talking about Rio uh, that was definitely must have been one of your highlights for career because you guys had um, a fantastic final there picking up the bronze medal in Rio uh, for you that was your your second Olympics and um, yeah, I'm sure. After a disappointing result in London, you've you mentioned that already. Coming away with the bronze medal in you know the Rio Olympics must have been an incredible feeling, um, and doing it so with Olaf too must have been uh, really a really good experience.
3: Yeah, uh, I learned um, Olaf and I we're from the same club, and um, he's always uh, been the guy to look look up to, and. Um, in many ways an an idol um, but um, um going to the double, uh, I was surprised how um, how patient he was because he's a really stubborn man, okay. <laughs> and he uh, often know what's what's going to go fast and what's going to go slow, and that can be a bit. Demanding coming from uh, the double with Nils and I, we have we had our own terms, we had our own communication, and, and yeah, everything. And going into double with Olaf, and Olaf hadn't wrote a double since two thousand and one, no two thousand. So that was sixteen years. And uh, but I think we had a good communication and we had so little time because we were put in a double in February and um, it was only five and a half months to the Olympics and we weren't even qualified. So uh, our mind was set on just, okay, by any means we're going to get this boat to go as fast as possible. Um, and it was just a so intense focus on a technique and on the physical part that uh we um we didn't have a lot of issues going with the uh with the team dynamics within the boats of course some because it's a big adjustment for for the both of us he's he going well he placed fourth in 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 2015 so he was always uh, already qualified in a single and i didn't have I wasn't qualified at all, so I was depending on Olaf and uh, dragging my <laughs> ass over the line in Lucerne <laughs> to, to, you know, to the secure a spot in the Olympics. So it was, uh, it was so intense those months. I, I mean, it was super fun. And having Olaf in a boat with all the um, all experience, uh, it's just a big, big safety and I think the guys are growing the quad with him now as well. Well, everybody's saying he's getting old, and I say he's getting old. he's getting really old. <laughs> he's, uh, what's the day today? It's the 21st. Well, in six days, he will be he will be 44 year, years old. Um, and many people maybe look at the age, but also the experience. I mean, having him in a quad right now. Uh, gives the guys a huge advantage and I know many of the crews are afraid of that uh, they don't tell it they don't say it but you can see it in their eyes <laughs> because it's never it's never fun to have all of uh, in the in the lane next to you when it goes attention go because uh, he um, he is I mean his mental is He's not. If if, if, he, if he hadn't been doing rowing, he would be behind bars or something. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> not... oh, and man. having him in the, know, he said that himself uh, that he would be a criminal or something <laughs> if, if he didn't get to use the energy in rowing. Uh, but having him him in the boats in a double it was a big. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say relief, but it was. Uh, big safety and it was uh, because he was telling you when something was wrong and I could tell him when I thought something was wrong and by that we had um, what we call in Norway uh, a high uh, roof clearance uh-huh. <laughs> so you can ask the really important questions without being uh, uh, being offended and because we were so focused and just, okay, we need to get to Rio, and when we get to Rio, we're gonna get those guys. Because we were so set to <laughs> to cut the heads off the sink, witch guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, we knew we were close, we knew we were close. Uh, and um, that was just the journey from February. 2016 to the Olympics the same year um, yeah it was it was just an amazing amazing journey and I never learned uh, so much in so little time even even in my first year of schooling uh, mm-hmm. I haven't been near learning that much
2: yeah I mean, it's so cool to 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 hear you speak about Oof and I mean we we had him on the show uh, at one of our really early uh, episodes and I mean, Olaf is a legend in just in rowing in general, not uh, not just in uh, in Norway. And it's so cool um, to hear you speak about uh, rowing with him. And I definitely think there's not many people in in world rowing that would rather have him uh, have rather race against him than have him in the boat, uh, even though he's uh, he's about to turn uh, 44. And just so cool to to be able to row with him and, and learn so much. And I mean, you would think. Such an old athlete would become so stubborn and so stuck in their in their ways on on how to make the boat go fast. but I mean it really sounds like the emotional element of of the crew uh, you guys together uh, was one of the the biggest strengths for you guys so it's really really interesting to to hear it from uh, from that aspect you think about not only it's not only technical it's it's an emotional. Um, bond and and if you can deal with those big issues, you can uh, make the technical aspects and the technical changes so much easier.
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I think that's uh, um, that's what they're they're working on in the quad right now to um, uh, to to use that pressure to uh, get the group dynamics more. M- more firm and and uh and really ask the the good questions uh both ways uh because that's how that's how you make the boat go faster uh, when you when you're sitting there with your teammates and um, mm-hmm. um yeah, we 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 call it in norway where, where you're not Asking the right questions. We say you walk around the porridge. <laughs> it's a strange way, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> instead of just taking a bite of it, you're just walking around it. So um, too much walking around the porridge, guys. Don't don't do that. Just eat the porridge. Ask the crucial questions, but make sure it's done in a in a safe space. Uh, with, at least with a coach presence. Uh, and. Always, I mean, always. When you're sitting in a boat, don't think about what the other guy is possibly doing wrong. Always think first, what am I doing? Analyze what you are doing first, because um, same when I'm racing in a single. If I'm starting to think, okay, uh, what is Sveti doing now? What is Cynic doing now? My mind is out of the boat, and I need to be in my boat. I need to be in my head, because. Nothing. Nothing can make my boat go faster if I'm not present, uh, and the same goes uh, in in the um, in the bigger boats, in the quads and such. Y- you need to be present in your own head and dealing with your own your own issues, uh, and that's 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 that can be really tough for some rowers uh, because you can be so. Um, you can be so, um, sure that you're not doing anything wrong. And then again, you can, you can be the guys causing the problems. So, um, uh, yeah. You, and, and that's why having Olaf in the boat was, uh, was a good, good change because we just, it was a change, change of, uh, change of the scenery. And, uh, we had a just a fresh, fresh uh, start in 2016, so um, definitely he was a good, it was a good kickstarter
2: for sure. Sure, that's that's really cool, and there's some really cool ideas in there. I think a lot of the the listeners that's gonna make uh make them think quite a bit because you know there's always that technical aspect, and people are so obsessed with rowing the perfect stroke, but you know rowing is is also so difficult and. There's such a big emotional element, and if you can get the the emotion right, uh, your your mental ability to to make technical changes then improves so much more. Um, but let's talk a bit more on that uh, that real race. I mean, what is I mean, first of all, what's it like rowing uh, with Olaf down the track, knowing that uh, that he can uh, do so much damage, especially in the the second half once the the diesel engine gets going. And yeah, how was uh, your re- your real race? I mean, I know uh, the weather was really really tough on your your finals day, and that first half of the race looked uh, looked really really tricky. But uh, you guys still kept it in there and 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 had a good go um, at the end of the race. What was what was that like?
3: Um, it's. Uh it's really, it's really hard because I, I knew we were in a really good shape. We were rowing pretty well, uh, but physically. Um, uh, I was on the top of my game and Olaf was pretty good uh, as well. Uh, um, I, I wasn't able to look inside his head and I wasn't about to ask him in the Olympics, how do you feel? <laughs> because if he feels like shit, he says, well, I feel like shit. And that's the last thing I wanted to hear in the Olympics. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, the Rio Olympics, the final, uh, it was super choppy. It was almost like uh, the European Championships in Brandenburg the same year. That was it was super hard to roll uh, in because um, both Olaf and I, we're we don't have enough time and case in a boat to, to analyze how the, um, how, uh, the other guy in the boat uh, reacts to different wa- uh, waves coming in from the side and choppy water. So um, we, 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 uh, you can say that we weren't programmed good enough uh, to row in such hard conditions with uh, tall waves and wind um so um um it's hard to say if if it was flat water would it be real better um would we have a better result i don't know Uh that would just be speculations but um um you you can see it in the what was it a semi yeah the semifinal. final we were very close to the to the creations and we were feeling super fine in that race, we just went out, uh, went on land, and felt super good. Uh, Martin and Valent, they were crawling up the stairs, and <laughs> they looked like they were finished. So I was pretty sure we could take the gold medal in the in the final. Um, so it was a massive blow uh, having tough conditions, because uh, I knew at that point that uh, we haven't had. That much training together in rough condition uh, conditions um and it will be it will be difficult but then again um that was only the first 600 meters and i um, the last last 1200 meters we just went on we just attacked and attacked and attacked and we were rowing by far the fastest last thousand uh, of all the boats uh and uh had really good speed coming into the last five hundred as well. Um, but I mean that's that's rolling. You need to you need to know how to roll in different con- conditions and and uh yeah tackle tackle the conditions. Uh, <laughs> I remember going off the blocks, um uh, Sinkovich uh went and and Lithuania went. I was thinking after 200 meters I was like damn not this Olympics as well (laughs) I had that thought for a split second and after we rode 400 meters Olaf said uh, well translated to English he said easy just take it easy and I never imagined in my wildest fantasies that Olaf would say easy take it easy after 400 meters in an Olympic final but he did and it helped. <laughs> and that's and that's why uh that, that that's one of the things I'm talking about when having Olaf in the boat because he has so much experience and he has so much competence. Um when it comes to different uh challenges. He always have an answer because he's he's been there before. Uh, in any conditions, in any situations, he's more or less been in every single one of them during his long uh, rowing career. So, um, well, he called easy after 400 meters and the boat went faster. We rode cleaner and we were just getting more and more speed. Yeah, just getting traction and then uh, rowing away from the others and catching up on on the two leading boats. Um, so I think that explains what it means to have a of in the boat. Because um, you need, you, yeah, you, even though you're in a shitty position in the Olympic finals, you can always turn to something better by doing something that doesn't seem uh, logical. <laughs> Because it's Olympic final, your, your only logical thing is just pushing through and just do one hundred percent effort. But you also need some intelligence and some brains, <laughs> I guess.
1: Yeah, and it's it's really cool listening to you chat up listening to you chat about the race because I, I remember when we spoke to Olaf, he also he said a similar thing when he was describing what the race was like that. Um, uh, obviously was you you know the the creations and Lithuanians got off to such a fast start you just said that you know we just you know calmed it down a bit and and worked you know in our boat and and just focused in on 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 your rhythm um so yeah i mean it 's just such it 's such awesome stuff listening to you guys uh, talk about listening to you talk about that race because it was you guys had a phenomenal last thousand you were the fastest um you had the the fastest last thousand of that race. Um, but it must have been such a cool feeling getting that, um, getting that bronze medal. Um, and just just shifting tact a bit, uh, it's one thing that we Lawrence and I like to talk about is often you know sponsorships um, because I think in the rowing environment that's definitely something that uh, that can be a lot better uh, for a lot of teams and a lot of athletes. And um, you have you know have you been you've got a good relationship with Red Bull. you you've, you've uh, been sponsored with them to us a bit about what's you know what that sponsorship has been like, and you know also if any rows are out there, give a, maybe give a bit of advice on you know how how do you approach uh, something like that.
3: <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, I've uh, been on the rebel team now since 2014, um, when uh, <clears throat> Nelson and I joined uh, the rebel team. Um, how we got into rebel was. Um, a friend of Nils uh, was working at uh, at Rebel Norway, and um, after twenty thirteen, uh, Nils and I had a chat about maybe contacting Rebel, and then we're like, ah, oh, no, just we take it later. Uh, and then during the winter of uh, twenty thirteen, um, we Nils sent a message, and we had some meetings and. Ended up signing a contract, uh, and I've been in uh, I've been in Rebel uh, ever since. Um, I mean, <clears throat> uh, in Norway, uh, it's uh, in the beginning when, when Rebel was signing the first athletes in Norway. I think it was two thousand and ten, eleven. <clears throat> there was a lot of media. Uh, on it because they said Rebel is unhealthy, and Rebel was illegal to sell in Norway uh, for quite some time. <clears throat> you can only buy it in Sweden, <laughs> so people went <clears throat> people went across the border uh, to get Rebel, <laughs> um, and um, and now sponsoring athletes, uh created a lot of fuzz. But uh, by the time we signed, there were the the air was out of the balloon and um, there was no discussion whether or not we could be sponsored by them or not. So, um, I mean, um, many people are, not many, but some people are skeptical to combining um, uh, caffeinated products and sports uh, and energy drinks and um, we are uh, in norway we are really strict we do not uh do commercials for uh or sponsor uh, athletes under the age of um 16 with rebel and also you're not allowed to buy energy drinks if you're under 16. and i'm, I'm and even though i'm sponsored by rebel i'm i'm pretty clear that um as a fifteen-year-old um, boy or girl, you do not need an energy drink uh, in general. Eat healthy <laughs> and drink healthy, and I mean um, that's uh, that that should do it because a healthy uh, a healthy youth do not need uh, an energy drink. So. But I mean, we use it in, in training we use it as a tool as as well many other things uh to um to be prime i, I use as rebel um, mostly in the, um, when we're lifting weights because <laughs> the weight sessions are so long and you get so tired <laughs> so i um, i'm just and ending up sitting in a corner and just yawning uh, <laughs> because I'm so tired so um well Rebel has been on the team uh, for quite a while and been by far the the most important support group and giving other rowers around the world um, a tip on how to approach uh, businesses or yeah well such as rebel or smaller ones i will I will uh, advise you to start small um, and and find out what can, what can you sell. Because if you send a mail to Rebel and say, hey, can you sponsor me? Uh, you're going to be happy if they answer the mail at all. Uh, you, you, need to, you need to do some research. Because what, what you essentially are doing, you're selling a project, uh, product in, a, in a exchange for another product or money. So you can imagine being an employee, Uh, at a company and you're trying to sell a product and you go out to the customer and say hi, uh, I want your money (laughs) you're not going anywhere (laughs) so you need to analyze what can you sell and what what is unique with your product what kind of impact can you do that others can't Uh, so you need to sit down and write down those things Um, set them in order and present them Uh, do not come with a suggestion in your first approach, just uh, say, uh, it would be interesting to have a meeting, uh, to maybe discuss some possibilities, um, and, and be, uh, well, make a humble approach and take it from there. Uh, and don't be afraid to get a no. The worst thing you can get is a no. So um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's better to have 50 no's in one yes than... Don't uh, not asking at all, so um, uh, it's it's quite uncomfortable <laughs> to do it. <laughs> but uh, I mean, as a rower, we we don't have big sponsor uh, international sponsorships with Visa. Uh, we don't have uh, the the federations have uh, often sponsorships that funds the regular day to day managing of the team, like travels and boats and equipment and such. Uh, so, um, and rowing is the last one of the last, uh, amateur sports, professional amateur sports. It's a weird combination, but, um, yeah. uh, I'm not sure how to put it, but, um, it's, um, rowing is super exciting to to watch I mean I in general I'm not very interested in sports uh, but I think rowing is exciting to watch uh, and um, I think FISA really needs to do an evaluation on how to sell rowing better because and sell it to TV because um, uh, the world is moving forward and uh, Visa needs to sell uh, an interesting product, and because it's hard also um, as a rower to sell uh, to sell a sport. Uh, is it, I know uh, rowing is traditional and it's one of the oldest Olympic sports, um, but we need to get more exposure. And we need to have more competitions. We need to have more World Cups. We need to have more sprint races. Uh, like a city-to-city sprint race, 200 meters, we more action. Three World Cups is not enough. It's hilarious. I mean, uh, well, I uh, I know it's a big uh, logistic problem or issue. It's not a problem, it's an issue or a challenge to move everything around. But um, we need to have more competitions uh, and we need to create more exposure. Uh, it's maybe easy for me to say that sitting in in Norway, not being directly involved, but uh, we need to do something very soon, or we're going to be reduced as an Olympic sport for sure. Just see how uh, lightweight withdrawing is of the program after Tokyo. So and has been reduced uh, every every Olympics. So um, yeah, I mean. Um not not only does does the, the federations have to sell the sport uh nationally, but FISA have to sell the sport globally. and they need to do some changes.
2: Yeah, I definitely think um you're really hitting hitting the nail on the head there with our, with our sport. You know, there's this it needs to come from FISA and it needs this there's, there's so much changes and uh, so much change that needs to happen to keep our sport um you know uh, viable or, or exciting and i mean there's so there's so much going for our sport as well so i feel like we're in a very good position to make a few changes to capitalize on 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 uh, on the changes so yeah i think it can be can be really exciting um we're going you you're jumping ahead because it's actually a question that we were, we were going to ask you about uh, about visa and what would you, would you change but uh, the last thing on uh on the red bull and 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 the sponsorship part that i wanted to ask was you know uh, we spoke to to robert lucan from the the dutch eight as well and he spoke about how red bull was more than just a more than just a sponsor and, and uh they're more like a partner and they they do a lot of exciting stuff and looking at at the at your career and 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 the stuff that you've done we 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 dug up this uh awesome piece where you guys did this uh you you rode through <laughs> uh where it was like I i don't know how to pronounce it today, but the the Solstrumen or or South, uh South
1: a, strait.
2: A, a canal in in norway and it looked really yeah, dangerous it, and uh, really exciting yeah. uh yeah, just tell it, us a little bit uh, about that <laughs> I'll, I'll take
3: it from here <laughs> 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 it's yeah it's called the uh, <laughs> we rode in the saltstromman strait um in uh, the northern part of Norway. Um, and as I said, uh, Rebel is not only a sponsor. Of course it's a sponsor, but it's also um, uh, a partner. Uh, and we do we do some projects together, and Salströmen was uh, super fun and super scary. We were uh, rowing against the world's uh, strongest... Um, Tidal current uh, uh, and it can reach speeds up to 45 kilometers an hour. Uh, and the past 50 years, I guess 60 or 70 people have died uh, drowning in the Um, in the maelstroms. um So <laughs> it was also Sounds the most funny. terrifying <laughs> shit I've ever done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the boat is weighing 27 kilos. It's uh, 13 meters long and it's made of cardboard uh, compared to the forces we are rowing against. Uh, So, um, uh, and it's super hard to navigate in those waters because you have cross currents taking your boat sideways without you knowing it. And we were actually, uh, from the blades, uh, we were one and a half meter from a maelstrom that was uh, 10 meters in diameter and would probably suck us down uh, 50 meters below the surface if we, if we didn't steer clear of it. So um, it was, uh, it was super scary. It was also super fun. It's a very fun project to do. And um, I think that's, uh, that's what, what's um, separating rebel from our uh, other partners. Uh, because they are so keen to do fun stuff and uh, also challenging, challenging us athletes to be creative and do things you wouldn't think were possible or just, uh, well, something out of this world. And rowing against <laughs> the world's strongest title current is definitely something... Um, I um, I didn't expect I would do <laughs> in my entire life. I was actually, I was up because it's pretty far north in Norway. It's about the polar circle. And um, I was there in two thousand and one with my family. we, uh, we were having a v- vacation. I was standing out just by the bridge there. Uh, there was a small uh, like a island. 10 meters wide, 10 meters long and it was kind of slippery but I walked out uh, and I was fishing there for one hour and then I turned back and the water has had uh, risen so <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, um, I was stuck on an island and I knew that every second I waited the current would be stronger and stronger and the water would rise more and more and I saw some stones just below the surface and it was 20 meters to the shore and the current was about 20 kilometers an hour, <laughs> um, so I guess that was the second most frightening uh, situation <laughs> of my life.
2: <laughs> oh my word. I feel like just calling something a maelstrom and then trying to row through it is uh, just a recipe <laughs> for, for disaster and uh, that must have been really cool and just something so different to to normal rowing training and normal rowing uh, life. It must have been uh, really, really exciting. And it also looks really cold as well. It looked uh, very ominous uh, taking that on. And yeah, you guys must have been uh, a little nervous.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Actually we had, um, we did wear uh, uh, wetsuits so we had seven millimeters, uh, which is, and uh, also a uh, like a flotation west, like a wakeboard west. Uh, and seven millimeters, it was about, about maybe five degrees in the air and probably six degrees in the water. Uh, it was so warm, you can't even imagine. It looks cold <laughs> on the video. But I promise you the sweat was pouring out of the sleeves of the wetsuits. I was literally like just pouring out. Oh, it's cool. I, I've never been that warm. Like I felt like I was really cooked afterwards. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I I, I, can, I think uh, the wetsuits.
1: Wet yeah, I think uh a wetsuit is probably not the, the most ideal um clothing or you know outfit that's that you should wear when you row considering especially how intense rowing is already um, but Joe ja, I mean that's it's awesome to to uh, hear you talk about that sounds like a crazy experience uh, but that brings us to the the end of our interview and uh, we have um, a set of questions called the quick fire questions that we ask every guest on the, on the show so it is your it's your time um, to to run them through, and the first, the first question of the set is: If you could race any boat class at the Olympic Games, what would it be?
3: Um, instead of well, if I if I like uh, had a pistol to my forehead, <laughs> had to choose, <laughs> I would do the um, quad. What's what's.
1: So talk to us a bit about that that decision because you know I was expecting either the skull or maybe something far out there like the eight. Um, but what's, what's I'll, the I'll, idea I'll, behind the right? yeah, quad?
3: Yeah, I was thinking about the eights, but uh, I'm struggling a little bit to get my um, to get my full potential rowing one just with one oar. Um, it's uh, I don't I don't have a technique yet. So if I had to choose, it would be the quad because it's uh, super fast and, uh, I'm more of an explosive guy. uh, an explosive guy. So I, I, um, I think I would, yeah, I would dig having a much shorter race <laughs> than in the single and it's how, fast and fun. How
2: much, uh, how much sweep have you done and, and have you raced the, the great eights in at hit of the Charles?
3: No, I haven't been in the great Eights. Uh, not yet. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not good
0: enough.
3: <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, um. Uh, no. I think your time. No, your time uh, will I've come been.
2: soon. I think. and hmm? Your time will come soon. Yeah.
3: But you know, I'm. I'm more focused on rowing a single in the Charles. Yeah. So I want to have as much, much wins as possible.
2: <laughs> nice. So the the next question is going to fit quite well because you you want to row the quad. So the next question is, if you could choose any three people from uh, any any time or anywhere in the world to to row in your quad uh, with, who would they? Who would those three people be? Okay, um,
3: uh, I would have uh, Joseph Sullivan, just broke off the New Zealand pair double in the London Olympics. Um. I would have this this was pretty hard. I thought it was pretty <laughs> really easy.
2: Take your time, <laughs> take your time.
3: I would have um yeah, Joseph Sullivan. I would have um I think I would have Martin Sinkovich as well. Um and the last guy I would have um uh Alf Hansen, the norwegian uh, double from the seventies
2: <laughs> you going way back awesome yeah, yeah that's
1: that's a, that's a big yeah that's a big uh a big dive into the rowing
3: history there yeah yeah it is it is uh because um that's a lot of stubborn people and uh if stubborn people can be directed in a same direction. Um, it can go really, really fast. So I guess that's my that's my pick. Oh,
2: that's yeah, a good
1: card, no, Actually, no doubt about that. The next uh, the next question out of the set is: um, What is your favorite rowing race that you find yourself watching over and over again? It doesn't have to be one of yours. It can be it can be any any race.
3: Um. Well, my favorite races is um, I like the um, I like the um, double final from uh, the London Olympics. Uh, the final where <laughs> we missed out, <laughs> uh, and also um, also. Olaf's race from 2008, maybe. Oh, that's a good one because I. Yeah, it's a good one. I've been watching that quite a lot, and more or less forced to do so. (laughs) (laughs) Is that? I feel like I feel like that
2: must be just uh, standard in Norway. You just to watch uh, Olaf race at least uh, once a week. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those are two really good races, and uh, both of them with uh, big finishes. um, Yeah, big finishes. So yeah, those are exciting races. Um, The next question uh, you kind of touched on it already. So uh, uh, so it's if you were in charge at World Rowing, uh, what would you change?
3: Um, I would implement a city sprint um and to make it easy for all well i will based based on based on the previous world uh championship results uh and uh, maybe also uh, the score from the first world cup have a city sprint with uh one boat provider um or two boat providers Who drive around the boats uh, around in Europe uh, um, and having city sprints uh, between 200 and 400 meters to engage uh, to engage people uh, on site and also uh, having more action uh, and faster rowing and like a different different like change of setting completely uh, change of setting and um, so i would probably if 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 we were if i were to introduce three city sprints i would probably still keep three um the three world cups. if that was not an option i would expand world cups to five races at
2: least yeah sure. good options and, yeah
3: uh, yeah and i will uh, i would have at least two of those races having uh, being one week apart, so the athletes don't need to go back home, train for a week, and then go back out. So, um, so five World Cups, where two of the races are within one and a half week, or so.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, I think it would be. I mean, I I think Europe's also like such a good place to have it because you have um, there's such really nice uh, like t- t- uh, cities there, from like a. A tourist touristy point of view, and yeah. uh, I can just imagine having a, a rowing race, nice short distance. So you know, there you know, there are not many bodies of water you can find that are two kilometers long, ro- uh, two kilometers long, conveniently located in major me- metropolitan centres. But if you have two hundred, three hundred, or four hundred meters of water. I bet you that list opens up quite a lot. And I think it would be a huge draw to spectators. And you can just, you can look at like uh, the boat race, which is in the middle of, on the Thames, in the middle of London, how you know big of an event that is. And uh, it's over such a long distance. Often, you know, the races decided so early. So the the spectator value there is somewhat diminished. But if you have two, 300 meter racing and people lining the banks, it would be awesome.
3: Yeah, I know. Oh, that's uh I guess it's um it's a it's a dream I have but as i know it's also a dream all of have uh but we've we've only been discussing having invitational I- sprints like private, but i mean FISA should look into the, this because uh it'll be fun for the athletes and it would be well more more to organize for FISA, for sure and more expensive yeah for sure but then you also have a new product, a product that hasn't changed in what, 40 years or so? Uh, so, I mean, they need to update, uh, the product for media because European Championship, three World Cups and one World Championship is, um, it's not, not enough. Yeah. Like, we, yeah. we talk we, we, we talk with other sports uh winter sports for uh, for example like okay so uh, you're done three world Cups so how many how many left do you have seven eight no we're done <laughs> no. <laughs> you only have three world cups are you sure and I mean even because even sports
2: they have between seven and
3: fifteen World Cups.
2: Yeah, and even sports like I mean, like for for us in South Africa, cricket is a, is a huge sport and it's, a, it's such a traditional sport. And every couple of years, they, they <coughs> completely change it, bring out new rules, bring out uh, new competitions, and they they change it up to to keep it exciting. And you know, rowing has probably not changed since uh, its introduction to the Olympics.
3: No, I guess you're about yeah, right.
1: Yeah, I know. Just on the on the city sprints, I in the course of my lifetime, I would love to see um, uh, a as a rowing sprint two hundred meters in the Cape Town Harbour
0: because yeah, be cool. that
1: would be next level. Um, but yeah, that's that's quite a that that was quite a, a good discussion there around um, the that question. The next question though, is: This is the one that all the rowers and the listeners out there really want to hear. Um, the next question is: What is your two-kilometer PB on the Urgo? Ah,
3: that's um, uh, forty-seven point two, I think, from two thousand and thirteen. Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, It's—I uh, <laughs> remember it pretty well because I was struggling, uh, being out of shape, and having some problems with my. My hamstring and uh, I went to see the same um, physiotherapist, coach that also uh, made me do the exercises, which uh, tore my meniscus apart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember uh, having a session, and I felt so great after that session. And the next day, I went back to Horton, to my club. And I just decided to go down to the club all alone and just do a 2K flat out. And it felt super good and super easy. So I should, I should have been able to grow faster but now. It was, uh, it was 47 that time.
2: Oh, really cool. And nice. there's, not um, many, there's not many people that have got their PBs on a voluntary ergo trial. <laughs> No, but I mean, um, you need to
3: do some go out of your comfort zone, and I mean, it's only two k. Uh, it hurts like hell, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you're not gonna die, and afterwards you're gonna feel like shit, and then you're gonna feel good, hopefully yeah. afterwards. But uh, to do a check on how your how your, how your uh, form is is well, yes. just just do it. I. I did, a, <laughs> I did a world record at tent <laughs> on Christmas morning. So, uh, I just decided driving down to the club and like, okay, yeah, well, maybe I'm going to try to take a world record and just putting yourself out of the comfort zone once in a while and doing some stupid stuff. I think it's, it's good. Um, yeah. and I, I, I really, I, I feed on, on that because, uh, um, you get to connect with your inner mentally crazy voice, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
2: Your, your, your viking, your inner viking, I suppose, from uh, for yeah. you guys, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the last question is if you could choose a different sport to go to the Olympics in, uh, what would it be and why?
3: Oh good question. Um, 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 uh, maybe uh, what do you call it? Is it a decathlon or something?
1: Um, yeah, that it's decathlon, the, the mixture of all the events,
3: yeah. I think that one, or uh, I would try to, I would love to try bobsleigh. Um, um that was actually my plan after um after tokyo this year was to try bobsleigh and see how how far i could could go I'd do it in a couple of months and just see if i had some progression doing it uh if i if i had progression i would put in a real effort and and see how far i could make it uh until 2022 so um but that's um I think that's uh, not a question anymore. Now the Olympics is postponed with one year. I don't have the time to to do that. Yeah, but we'll we'll see.
2: So yeah, yeah bobsleigh and uh,
3: decathlon maybe.
2: Yeah, we we're about as far away from bobsleigh as uh, as can be. Um, but oh, it looks like a really <laughs> a really cool sport and. Um, and I mean, yeah, it would be awesome in in because, I mean, Norway has such a, a good uh, Winter Olympics team, so it, it would be such a good opportunity for you, I suppose. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, we are a pretty good Winter Olympic team. Um,
2: yeah, I don't think yeah, I don't could, think we have a Winter Olympic team. I don't think we've ever sent. Maybe we've sent one or two people to the Winter Olympics, but not more than that ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're not. We we about the same as uh, Jamaica sending a bob team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that that wraps it up. I mean, is there? Did we did we miss anything? Or I think we covered a lot of cool stuff and and a lot of really cool, interesting topics. Um, is there anything else you wanna you wanna add? No, I think it's uh, all good. All good thanks thanks
1: a lot for for coming on the show uh Chettle, it was it was awesome awesome chatting to you
2: yeah but just uh thanks so much for for giving us a, a huge chunk of your time and and having such an interesting conversation it's really cool to hear everyone's different views and and the way they go about rowing is is so exciting and, and really awesome for us so yeah thanks for sharing so openly and honestly for with us yeah, no, my my pleasure, guys, and uh, it was cool cool talking to you. Yeah, and right. hopefully you go well, and uh, we see you towards the end of this year racing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, hopefully maybe the European Championship yeah. in October. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see will <laughs> cool. see. Well, good luck with your with your prep, and if not, we'll see you next year. For the games. Cool. Cheers. So, to you guys. Bye. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Cool. So, that's a wrap from uh, Jake and I. And yeah, just what an awesome episode. And I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as much as we did and uh, took. All the secrets and uh, and all that interesting uh, knowledge that uh, Chettle had, and and I hope you guys put it in your bank and can use that at some other point. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that that conversation with him. Uh, we had a great time, and yeah, just another awesome athlete um, in the bank of the road show. So yeah,
1: yeah, I mean it was it was a really good interview. I, I loved chatting uh, chatting to Chettle. Lots of lots of insights from him. Um, and yeah, guys, just closing off. Just uh, don't forget to. Uh, share us on your social media and uh, again if you're interested in supporting us we do have a paypal account which you can find a link on in our our soundcloud profile and besides that guys have a um, have a good weekend and stay safe and stay safe and healthy out there
2: that's for sure, guys, and I really hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and that you're staying safe and uh, managing in the, the difficult time that we're having. Uh, we've got a couple more episodes in the bank, and we they're just going through our in-house editing, and hopefully we'll be able to get those to you guys shortly. So yeah, stay tuned, uh, keep your eyes and ears open uh, for the new episodes. Um, but otherwise, that's all for today, and thanks very much for tuning in. We're out. Ciao.
1: Cheers, guys. Jake's out.